Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics, right here on Blog Talk Radio. to Voice of Olympus. I'm your host, Hercules Invictus, and today we welcome a new champion in our midst, Michelle Brittany of the Scholars from the Edge of Time. She has started her very own quest for optimal wellness, and now she'll be sharing it with all of us. Greetings and welcome, Michelle. How are you? Oh, greetings, Hercules. How are you? I'm getting over a slight cold, but other than that, uh, fantastic. How about you? Oh, wonderful. Um, you know, I'm doing all right. Uh, like you, I'm getting over a little bit of a cold. So um, I apologize in advance if I have a little bit of a coughing or sniffles. Um, but taking vitamins and all that kind of thing. So um, definitely on the mend. Fantastic. So uh, we start off this uh, uh, new journey uh, with a slight uh, cold. So that's great. We're in good company. (laughs) So you've been doing amazing on your uh, personal uh, self-transformation through exercise, and you shared a little of it. uh, And uh, that is what this uh, particular show is all about. It's about people uh, sharing what they did with other people. None of us are doctors, so we're not giving people medical advice, uh, but we're sharing what we experienced, uh, what we learned, uh, what we learned to do, what we learned not to do, and uh, so forth. And uh, what you shared so far was was awesome. So if you're going to start from the beginning, what motivated you uh, to go on your quest for optimal wellness? Um, there's been a few things. So, um I used to be quite active um, and doing a lot of walking. Um, Before Nicholas and I moved down here, I had done Weight Watchers uh, where you do the points. um, And I actually lost 25 pounds, um, but it was very hard to maintain it. And Mm -hmm. um, I always felt like I was starving. And I knew in my mind that, you know, this was, 
almost a quick fix, even though it really was a, a bit of a road to take 25 pounds down. Um, I didn't feel it was something that I could sustain long term. And mm-hmm. sure enough, over the years, um, Nicholas and I would go out and we'd walk and stuff. But, um, you know, after I hit 50, um, it was definitely tough uh, to try and lose weight. And over the past, oh, I would say the last two years, um, I found it increasingly difficult to try to lose any weight. And um, I by, by last year, I had gained all of that weight that I had lost, and um, I had put more weight on. And I thought, you know, I, I can't do it myself anymore. Um, I need to get on to some sort of regiment where I can really learn proper diet, proper exercise, and then when I hit my goal, how to maintain it. And so um, I was actually kind of inspired by a couple of people, um, one being a friend of mine who lives in England. His name is James. Um, he's a, he started on a road to lose weight. He had gained quite a bit, and um, he started running, eating much better, um, and just being more active. And so I was inspired by that. Um, and then my neighbor downstairs, Leah, was, is, was and is very active, but she was active in a more, like, kickboxing, Zumba, things like that. And mm-hmm. so um, I reached out to my neighbor and asked her, hey, you know, I was interested. I, I figured, well, maybe I could learn kickboxing because that would be something interesting to do and it would be fun. Um, and so she and I went to a daily ultimate training class because there wasn't a kickboxing class. So we went to that, and I'm going to be honest, I was so, so out of shape that just the little warm-up exercises, you know, where you run down like 20 feet and back and, you know, do the side shuffles and things like that, I was like so out of breath, so tired. Um, I made it through the class barely, um, but it's a testament to how out of shape I was. Um, At the end of the week, we did go to a kickboxing uh, class, but I found that um, I'm not the most coordinated person, um, and I found that trying to learn kickboxing at that time, um, I was finding very difficult between coordination um, Mm -hmm. and not having very good balance. Um, That was another thing that I found in turning 50 and being really overweight is that I no longer had a real good sense of balance and kind of like the presence of my body, like where I was. So I was, I was having difficulties, like kind of keeping balanced even. Um, Mm. So uh, the gym that I was going to, and I still go to is a, is a UFC um, so they're they're more studio oriented, and they of course they're you know doing kickboxing, jujitsu, uh, lots of weight training, um, doing cardio, um, doing the various classes, and um, they had a program where you could um, see a trainer, and then if you wanted you could um, 
go ahead and, and basically sign up and um, take classes, personal training sessions. So um, I met um, the, the fellow that trained the kickboxing class. I felt like I had a good rapport with him. And so mm-hmm. um, I actually met him after that. And we sat down. We actually talked through, like, my goals, what I wanted to do. Um, and at that time, I was thinking, well, I definitely wanted to lose weight. Um, I wanted to tone. Um, and I wanted to, you know, personally just feel better about myself, my self-esteem, my confidence, um, you know, those kind of things. And um, so I started training with him. Um I went actually back to my um, journal that I started, and I started my very first week with him um, January 22nd of last year. And so I thought I'd share. I actually wrote down what my weigh-in, my my body fat, and things like that were. So I I weighed in at 154 pounds, and that's a lot. For somebody my height, I'm about five foot three. Uh, my body fat was almost forty percent. So uh, when you think of that in pounds, um, that uh, let me tell you that sure hit home. That taking about forty percent of that weight, I was sixty pounds of body fat. I was just like, oh my gosh! I was carrying around so much extra weight. I could not believe it. Um. And then my, um, my, my goal um, that we set up was to target um, about um, 30%, 25 to 30% on the, the body fat um, mm-hmm. and to bring down my, my BMI um, down to I, – I actually don't have that written down what the BMI was supposed to be. Um, but that's how I started. And um, every week I started um, going and seeing my coach, um, and slowly we brought in cardio exercise that um, I would do at least three times a week, and then I would meet with him once a week, and then I would do at least one to two additional sessions at the gym. Um, And so we worked out a – program uh, that I would work through for about usually about four to six weeks um, and we'd use the uh, the pyramid program where basically you start at uh, a particular schedule of weights and then mm-hmm. uh, the following week you would kind of build on that so that you were always building always working up stam- stamina and um, and strength because that's his his forte is, is strength training um, so that that's what we started with um, a year ago. Um, honestly, I couldn't squat. Um, I my being able to like get into different pos- positions was just uh, oh, it was horrible. It was embarrassing. <laughs> but well, it um, sounds like you're on top of it uh, now, though. You took action and you took effective action. Uh, and studied and measured action. So it, it, it sounds like you did everything a person can do. Um, yeah, definitely. And, you know, um, 
you know, with working that, just learning how to basically, like, relearn how to squat, relearn how to, you know, hold your arms when you're doing a bench press, you know, not only, you know, learning how to do those correctly, but also learning how to do them safely and how to build um, and learn how to, you know, lose the weight, but also maintain and build um, some muscle mass. Um, And uh, so over the time, that's what we worked on. And, you know, slowly I was able to build muscles and muscle mass and lose the the body fat. Um, I just celebrated my one year. And um, thank you. I am down 40 pounds. All right. Um, Yes. Um, My body fat is um, between, it fluctuates a little depending on, you know, the test. There's a little bit of deviation, but I'm between uh, about 28 and 30%. Um, So um, I'm very, very happy about that. Um, Mm -hmm. And then my BMI, I think it's like at 20. Um, I have never in my life, I've, I've always had, issues with being overweight and you know honestly I I'm a writer uh by day and uh by evening too um I you know I I work in very sedentary type job um and I have a lot of hobbies that are very sedentary as well um so it it has been quite the challenge to break that um so you know the the physical has been a real real challenge um because i felt like at at my age and trying to basically learn fitness for the first time but i'll tell you i through the the year i i would not change a thing i felt like i learned very good tools through the year um i was able to lose weight which is something that i wanted to do um, I'm learning to feel more personal confidence in my appearance and in my health. Um, I definitely don't get sick nearly as much. Um, and even when I do get like the cold or whatever, um, it doesn't stay around as long. So I feel mm-hmm. like I've made great strides with that. Um, and I'm maintaining. Um, I'm right around about 115 pounds. And I've been that over the last probably two months. Very consistent, very good with my diet. Um, I do use um, some additional tools. I have a Fitbit that I use. Um, So I'm always, you know, I'm able to check my heart rate. Um, I'm able to check my steps, um, you know, and stairs and activity and all that. Um, I also have it hooked to my phone. So I'm able, you know, I I definitely work uh, more diligently to make sure I get plenty of rest. Um, I now know so much more about uh, the uh, macronutrients and, you know, the breakdowns. That's still a challenge even after a year, but um, Mm -hmm. I definitely feel like I'm much more knowledgeable now than than when I started. Um, uh, So even on a, I guess, even on a personal level, you know, 
making that commitment and feeling feeling more um, spiritually aware, I guess, through, you know, an increased uh, sense of my own body and my physicality um, has been very life-altering for me. Um, I don't know. I, I would imagine you probably feel something similar, don't you? Oh, yes. Uh, I, I found recently uh, um, I wanted to break past my inner limitations, my inner ideas, and I started exploring how they came about. And I discovered, um, much to my chagrin, that most of the conclusions that I'd reached about what I wanted in life were made between the ages of 11 and 13. <laughs> so uh, I've been living a chunk of my life based on what I decided then was like the right thing to do or the cool thing to do or, or so forth. So now uh, that I'm 61, I'm questioning those uh, assumptions, you know, like uh, what did I know when I was uh, 11 to 13 years old? So um, it's allowing me to think past and to think larger. And in terms of the, uh, um, the bodybuilding and the weightlifting, I, I had always had kind of like the, uh, the peplum star is kind of like the median ideal that I was uh, striving for. And I had that for much of my life. Uh, but now I'm thinking beyond that. I'm thinking kind of like uh, Lou Ferrigno's Hercules or The Rock's Hercules or uh, Marvel's Hercules, you know, uh, j just beyond the, the body types I thought of before. So this has opened up uh, uh, my mind and also the extent of uh, or the range of possibilities. So I started some things I'd never done before. And I'm finding that uh, the results are amazing, like uh, – most recently, I tried something called the X3 bar. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't. It's like a metal weightlifting bar, short one, and some elastic bands and a platform. And with these pieces of equipment, uh, you do what are like traditionally like core bodybuilding exercises or, uh, or the power exercises the powerlifters do, you know, the really core muscle building uh, exercises and it's only like 10 minutes a day and initially I was thinking yeah right 10 minutes <laughs> 10 minutes a day but no it's like 10 minutes a day and after those 10 minutes you're exhausted if you did it you know correctly if you put the intensity into it uh, and you can hardly move like I, I just want to crawl back in bed after doing my workout and I've been finding too the results um um, have been coming a lot faster, maybe two or three times faster than I would get if I was sticking to my normal, you know, increase the weights every uh, uh, every time I can do a certain number of repetitions. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm trying other things as well, but that's like the core thing. Just like uh, before then, my core thing was the Charles Atlas uh, workout. Um, so now this one is uh, opening my mind to uh, totally different ways of doing something. So because I've had such good results with doing something uh, off the wall based on what I was doing before, I'm now open to trying new things. So um, I've also been playing with something called muscle control, which is a very old bodybuilding system where you don't use any weights at all, but you focus on like uh, flexing uh, certain parts of your body as if you were. And just that awareness of the body parts and the flexing them, uh, that produces, uh, you know, like surprising results too. And you're not using any equipment at all uh, beyond your brain and a little bit of tension. So um, 
uh, the, the, I'm going to be sticking with those. Like I have six more weeks uh, with the um, X3 bar until I'm finished the 12 week uh, cycle. Uh, and then the other one, uh, I'm doing it now a little bit. I'm going to do that for a couple of weeks, um, you know, more intensely when I finish the 12 week cycle. Um, so I'm like really excited. It's like being uh, uh, exposed to a whole new set of toys <laughs> and, uh, you know, enjoying them, the things I never allowed myself to think of as uh, useful or possible before. That sounds really exciting. I'm curious about the X3 bar. Hercules, it, does it allow you like a total core workout? Yes, it, it has. Uh, there are four. There are two workouts. Um, there's a pushing workout and a pulling workout, essentially. And there are four core exercises with each, uh, um, like uh, a, a push workout or pull workout. And you do those with these elastic uh, bands. So when I first uh, got them, because I wasn't used to, I never worked out with elastic bands like this before. I I worked out with like rubber bands with my fingers and, uh, you know, like cables and things like that. But I never worked out with these big elastic bands before. So the first uh, week, except for two of the exercises, which were very easy, the rest of them were very challenging because uh, um, I have neuropathy. So my balance is not what it once was, uh, you know, uh, once upon a time. So um, it, yeah. it took like the first uh, couple of weeks just to learn how to do the exercises correctly. Um, but they're standard uh, push-pull exercises. And then uh, when you reach the fifth week, he gives you like three um, uh, alternative or supplemental exercises. And because I've been lifting weights, you know, forever, uh, I added three of my own that I thought would be a benefit to me. So now in the second cycle, the first four weeks were um, – uh, four days um, a week. You did two day, two days in a row. You took a day off, two days in a row, and then two days off. And th- then now the second set of four weeks is six days a week. And I like that a lot better because I like working out every day. Mm-hmm. And the only thing it's missing uh, that I enjoy doing are I like doing stretches and meditation and like yoga type things as well. So this this just focuses on core, um, you know, like strength exercises. So um, when I finish this 12 weeks, I'm going to reincorporate, you know, the other stuff that I've picked up over the years that I found very helpful uh, and weave it back into my routine and then keep this entire routine uh, because it was so good at what it did. And also uh, because it's just a board, uh, a bar and some bands, it doesn't take up a lot of space. So at this point, I was contemplating uh, buying a weight bench and buying like uh, an Olympic set and you know, that would have taken up a bunch of space. So I was clearing out my basement. So with this, I just put it like in the little box and it's under the bed. And, you know, so uh, that's a big plus, too, that it gives me a really good workout. Um, and I don't need a spotter either, which is a big plus. Oh, yeah, that is a big plus. That, that sounds like a really interesting workout. I'm going to have to take a look at that. I know for me over the year, I mean, I have been learning um, all the different um, equipment that's at the, at the gym and um, learning how to use each one. And then uh, part of my journey has been learning uh, basically what you already know, which is the pushing and the pulling of muscles and kind of working both sets both ways um that is something that i'm that i'm becoming more familiar with and i'm 
you know, developing a repertoire of uh, uh, sets of, of exercises to do. Um, like you, I really enjoy my warm-up exercises because it is kind of like yoga, and I feel like mm-hmm. I, I very much it, – it kind of grounds me and brings me into my body space where um, I'm really concentrating, okay, have I got – one, did I get the right position – too am I am I am I stretching so that I'm going to be warm enough for my workout you know and ready to go and then three um you know can can I push it a little further can I work can I challenge myself a little bit more and I I definitely see you know that kind of mentality spill over into other aspects of my life too um, looking for more challenges because, you know, now I have more self-confidence. It's, it's so interesting how from a spiritual point that when you are kind of comfortable with your skin, then you're comfortable and you're able to, that's your foundation, and then you're able to move out from there um, and and take those tools outward into other aspects of your life, I think. I think that was probably, you know, one of my biggest surprises on this journey. Yes, it's it's a great realization to know that, uh, you know, you you could phrase it a bunch of different ways. You know, uh, you could say that uh, you could uh, take your will and conquer, um, you know, challenges. Or you could say that you're using your mind to manifest by shaping adversity into a positive result. There's a lot of different ways of of stating it, but you, you realize that your mind really is a, a powerful tool. Um, I've spoken of this on other shows and uh, like I, I remember for the longest time when I was younger and I used to go to the gym and, you know, I was into the whole gym uh, culture. Um, I kept, I got stuck at 300 pounds. I could do 298 on the bench press, but I could not do that 300, you know, no matter what I did, uh, I could not get past <laughs> that. And it was an obstacle for a very long time. And then one day I was distracted and thinking, and I did a set. And when I went to like uh, to um, like lower the bar a little bit, because I was doing pyramids from like light to heavy to light, um, I noticed yep. that there were 330 pounds on the bar. I never took off the other plates, you know, when I when I changed the the weight on the pyramid. So uh, I had not only broken past uh, 300, but I broke it past 330 pounds over 300. Uh, so then that became, you know, like uh, I, I got a little bit higher than that. Um, but uh, once I was able to do it once by accident, all of a sudden I could do it without a problem. <laughs> and I was able to get like 300 pounds plus for those next few things. So I realized uh, back then, and I'm still realizing it now, that what you believe, what you tell yourself determines your reality to a much uh, greater degree than what you thought. So once you find that uh, through your actions and through your intent, you can change your body, uh, that does open up a lot of possibilities. And you are willing to be uh, more um, uh, open to uh, being transformed through challenge in other areas of your life. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, That makes so much sense. I was thinking about the the idea of um, also, you know, having the support. Sometimes you have happy accidents and you don't realize, oh, I can actually do this because it's almost like tricking your mind. Um, mm-hmm. And I was thinking back over the year that there have been definitely occasions where 
I never, you know, my mind was in the, the, the zone of, oh, I can't do that. But, you know, having trust in my coach, you know, he is not going, I have trust in my coach that he is not going to suggest something that's going to hurt me. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there, there were times when I looked at him like, oh, okay, sure, like I can really do that. And then I, you know, I, I stop my negative thoughts, though, and think, okay, wait a minute. If he didn't think I could do it, he wouldn't be, you know, you know, suggesting that I do a particular exercise, mm-hmm. particular weight. Um, and I, you know, had lots of instances where I was like, oh, my gosh, I can do it. And it was – it totally turned around my thought that, wow, I can do this. Um, and I can, you know, keep working and adding the weights and things like that, or, you know, just learning those good tools. And, you know, I don't, I don't think about the fact that I can't do something. I look at it as, okay, this is a challenge. How do I problem solve it? You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, things like that. Are you still there? I'm still here. Uh, can you wait one second, though? Of course. My mother called me. Uh, can you call her? I'm sorry about that. Uh, a family uh, um, emergency. My mom's not feeling well. She lives next door. Uh, so she had called. So I, I sent my wife over. So again, I apologize. <laughs> oh, not a problem. I just think, um, I, I hope that she's uh, going to be okay. Um, I was thinking about Thank that you. sometimes, you know, having that support, it's almost like having a parent, you know, again, to just kind mm-hmm. of re- reinforce that you can do this and you can, you can get through those hurdles. Like for you, you know, it was, you know, getting over that 298, you know, and although it wasn't like a parent was there, it was, you know, I don't know. It's just kind of interesting. I, I'm not quite sure where I'm going with that, but, you know, it is it is nice to have that support too, where, you know, um, you have somebody that believes in you. That, that that's very very true, and you're very fortunate to have uh, uh, such a coach um, that uh, encourages you and pushes you to move past your own boundaries. And and again, it is so easy to uh, establish in your mind that you can't do something when many of the cases. Uh, uh, you can. Uh, an example involving you and uh, Nicholas in my life. Uh, you both encouraged me to write, uh, try out for some anthologies, <laughs> I remember. And now, 15 anthologies later, you know, so uh, um, <laughs> all it took was a questioning of a belief I had that something was uh, not a possibility and look into whether it was a possibility and it opened the floodgates to a lot of, uh, you know, published uh, 
um, creativity. So uh, uh, that's all it took. So thank you for being uh, my co-coach in that uh, area. <laughs> oh, you're very welcome. You know, I, I, uh, it, it's, I'm glad that I could be and, and that Nicholas could be an inspiration for you and to, you know, reveal that, that you know, there, the hurdles, you know, don't really exist or there, there are challenges that can, can be overcome. Um, you know, I, I wanted to go back. I thought it was interesting and, uh, when you commented about role models. Um, because you were talking about like Steve Reeves and now, you know, more the Lou Ferrigno um, and mm-hmm. um, the, the more modern Hercules interpretations. Um, I was thinking at the fact that I don't know that I've, that I ever had a role model with regards to fitness. And it almost made me wonder if that was, Maybe, you know, part of my challenge over the years is the fact that other than, you know, knowing that I needed to be slender, you know, for instance, I really didn't have like a particular role model that I looked to uh, to think, oh, well, you know, that's that's my ideal. Um, and I don't know that I that I do now um, other than you know, at the gym, because I'm not, uh, because I'm going to a, a more, uh, you know, UFC where the, there's definitely more muscle. Um, I think it might be less intimidating, you know, mm-hmm. that, I, that I feel like, okay, I can have some muscle. I can have definition. That's okay. That's acceptable. That's healthy. Um, where I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, you, you look in pop culture and everybody's like, I don't know almost like a twiggy. I don't think it's quite that bad anymore. Uh-huh. We're, we're seeing more diverse body types than we have before. But I, I know for a lot of years, I don't think that I ever felt like there was any particular role model for me, you know, out there. It's it it's just like a, uh, a tool, like any other tool, because uh, um, you know I know that my body's not going to look exactly like their you know body, so it isn't like trying to duplicate what what they have. It and their body's not identical with each other. They're just some like themes that they share or similarities that they have. Uh, it helps me personally in my visualization, you know, to see myself as I do the exercises. Uh, in this like finished form, you know, this is like, this is like what I'm aiming at and I'm letting my, my subconscious and my body and, you know, whatever other, um, uh, I guess intelligences there are there that this is what I'm aiming for. Uh, so it allows me to visualize like a, an inner impression, a strong one. And I, I always found that that helps me in uh, trying to accomplish what uh, uh, I'm setting out to accomplish. And if they're human, um, then it becomes, you know, that somebody else did this. So if they could do it, then you know, it's possible for me to do it. So it's not an impossible uh, thing, you know, I'm trying to do. Um, and even if it's an invented uh, character like Marvel's Hercules, humans conceive this. <laughs> and, it, and it seems attainable because there are people who look like this. Uh, so uh, that's how I use it. I don't know if it, like, like, for instance, Arnold Schwarzenegger is one of my uh, role models. 
um, in certain areas of his life, not in other areas of his life, where he he wasn't a very good role model, you know, for me to like learn from his lessons as well. And um, it feels like it increases my learning because I, I could only live what I could fit into this particular life. So if other people are willing to share from their lives, I could learn from their lives as well. Like I'm learning from your life now. Um, so it's, it's the same type of, uh, uh, same type of thing. It's part of the processing of the human experience and, and leaving yourself open to, uh, influences beyond those inside your own head. Yeah. Do, uh, do you have a, a role model where you feel like a lot of aspects of their life are things that you can emulate or that, um, I guess I'm thinking of like Steve Reeves, you know, um, I don't know that much about him um, other than, you know, his films and things like that. But was it, was, was he, is he a role model that, you know, was a bit more uh, well balanced in many aspects of his life? Well, Steve Reeves, what I learned from him, uh, he knew what he wanted, you know, like from the beginning. Uh, he wanted to be rich enough to own like horse ranches and, you know, to, to be able to live a certain type of lifestyle that, that was based on that. And there were other things he wanted that unfortunately he didn't experience. Like he wanted to be a father and, and so forth. Um, but uh, he, he kind of decided what, it, what life he wanted to create. And then he used um, what, you know, fit in with his uh, interest and abilities to build that life. And he succeeded uh, massively in that. So um, he wasn't like a career bodybuilder in the same sense that many others were career bodybuilders, but he used the fact that he was a, uh, a bodybuilder to move him into acting and into modeling. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then he got into the movies and, uh, you know, he used his movie career to get the money to create the life that you know, he wanted. And once he had the life that he wanted, he stopped. Uh, and then it was just that he wanted to make a, a certain type of cowboy movie, so he made that, and then he stopped again. So um, I'm simplifying, uh, but um, that's what I learned from Steve Reeves, that if you really think through what is important to you and what you want to create in this life, uh, that you know, pretty much whatever you do, it doesn't matter as long as you're using it to create the life that you want. So you don't need life's adventures uh, to take you like a horse hither and yon. Um, you can mm -hmm. you know, basically learn how to ride the horse and uh, let the horse take you where you want to go. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I, I know we're getting short on time, but I'm, I, I would love to, to chat again because I'd love to hear um, more about um, if you look to the um, original early Greek Olympics for, um, yeah. uh, you know, for inspiration and how that works. Um, I'd love to hear more about that, but I know we're, we're probably short on time, aren't we? Yeah, we're just at the end of our journey. How can folks get in contact with you, Michelle, and uh, follow all the wonderful things uh, you're doing? Uh, you're a scholar uh, about mummies par excellence. And uh, I'm looking forward to our uh, more movie reviews and things like that on mummies. Um, how can folks learn about your writing, learn about uh, your interest in mummies, and uh, uh, about all the great things you're doing? 
Sure. Um, and thank you, Hercules. I appreciate it. Um, I have a, a weekly blog called Michelle's Musings on Mummies. Um, I, as, as Hercules said, I'm, I'm very much into mummies, mummification. Uh, Egyptian, Egyptian, uh, ancient Egyptian uh, culture mostly, but um, I am also studying other mummy, mummification processes from around the world. Um, through Amazon, I have an author page. I do have a website, uh, michellebrittany.com, um, and then I do have a public page on Facebook um, that people can go to uh, if they'd like to reach me. Thanks again, Michelle. You're awesome. Give my regards to Nicholas and uh, tell him he was missed. And uh, <laughs> I will talk to you very soon. That sounds great. Hercules, have a wonderful evening. And thank you to uh, your listeners for joining us tonight. And thank you for being so generous with sharing your journey. And uh, I wish you continued success. Thank you. And to you as well, Hercules. Thank you, Michelle. We're going to take a brief break. We're going to listen to the Pipe for Pan, and then we'll be back with Sword and Sandal Cinema with Brian Walker of Brian's Drive-In Theater. Many offerings 
to the gods and all the wonder that they hold But how many people really can hear the pipes of Pan As they sound across our sacred land of old Can you hear the pipes of Pan on the warm summer breeze If you can Can you feel him Deep within you As he penetrates the land May blossom to the bees The nectar of love is on her skin Each return Fine, Hercules. How are you tonight? Okay, having an interesting, interesting day. Um, how's everything by you? Uh, you things here are great, and uh, guess what? It is the 22nd anniversary of Brian's Drive-In Theater. Happy 22nd anniversary! <laughs> well, thank awesome. you very much. I appreciate it. That is so incredibly awesome. Must have been. I must have come into your site fairly early because I know it's been uh, over twenty years since I first uh, discovered. I remember the job where I was, and I was doing uh, some uh, web work, and then I had a break, and I found the drive-in theater, and <laughs> it, it was. I was so happy about that. And I was sharing with all my gym buddies. I remember. Well, and you know what? Uh, it grew out of a previous job that I had. Uh, interestingly mm. enough. Um, I was working uh, for a geological survey, and we needed a web presence. And, you know, in in the late 90s, uh, and this is probably 96, 97, um, we we still didn't have one. And we didn't have anybody uh, in our organization who uh, either had the skill to do it or wanted to do it. And it was dumped into my lap. <laughs> and um, <laughs> in, in order to build the, uh, in order to help build the survey, uh, a website, I had to um, uh, 
you know, uh, get my feet wet. And that's sort of where Brian's Drive-In Theater came from, really. Uh, it was uh, kind of my attempt to uh, learn, you know, which which is now crude, but uh, HTML code uh, in the 1990s. And, uh-huh. um uh, you know, I, I've been teaching college classes now for more than 30 years, and I teach writing wow. typically. And one of the things that I've always told my students is that they really should write about what they know, because mm-hmm. if they do that, it, it's going to be more informed. They're going to be more invested, um, you know, in, in the topic and such. And that's sort of why I uh, chose B movies because it was what I knew, it was what I loved. And 22 years later, hey, it's still online. Isn't that wonderful? It is still online. It is still very wonderful and worth uh, visiting. And uh, as you were talking, I could see a book version of the drive-in theater, like uh, uh, one of those uh, hardbound uh, coffee table books, they call them. Uh, they have tons of uh, pictures and uh, useful text. So, Well, and you know what? I, I have... I have a um, family room full of uh, <laughs> such books, and as a matter of fact, uh, you know some of the uh, images and um, more than just a little bit of the information um, on my website actually came from a lot of those books. Oh wow! Well, you know, uh, back in the day, um, well, back in the day when I was building the website, there there just wasn't. There wasn't much online, you know, in terms of graphics, um, and depending on the uh, connection you had, it might take, you know, a minute to download a photo, which would now, you know, pop up instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in the early days, you, you did a lot of scanning, and sometimes the material that you scanned might not have been in the best shape, but it was what you had, you know. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I, I hope I have since replaced all of those uh, old grainy pixelated pictures um, uh, with, with, with better uh, images. Um, and, you know, also back in the day, um, my Photoshop skills were pretty raw and fairly new, and I think I've gotten a whole lot better, <laughs> you know, over the years. Um, the thing that I think uh, really helped the website grow Actually, what was people people like you really um, early visitors to the website who uh, also had um, uh, hopefully had, they had scanners and they they had their own um, you know, collections of uh, whether they were images or you know bits and pieces of information and it was that synthesis that really led to the development of the many faces of Hercules pages. Uh, at the drive-in, and that was the very first section uh, of the drive-in. That was the very first section that that, um, was developed, uh, and it was the first one that was really completed, you know. Um, And part of that's because, you know, the the genre was somewhat limited in that, you know, it would only last about five or six years, and there were just a, a core group, you know, of actors and films. But I think it was also because that was what resonated among the early visitors to the drive-in. That was what they were most interested in, and that kind of drove uh, the development of the Many Faces of Hercules pages. Wow. Um, and and uh, I'm ahead. sorry. Go ahead. 
No, no, no. So you, and, you. and it's become a place in and of itself. You know, Brian's, uh, you know, drive-in theater. Uh, in my mind's eye, uh, I kind of imagine like the temples of old. You know, there were these like isolated locations. You know, and uh, uh, there were marble columns. I see a drive-in theater with the entrance having those, you know, uh, marble columns and uh, uh, the red. Uh, uh, roof in Greece they call them keramidi. I don't know how you call them in uh, English, uh, but those were like what they had on the roofs of those types of buildings, those orange red uh, curved uh, bricks that interlocked with each other. And uh, um, I can see like the lights from the drive in theater making the sky around them glow. And it's kind of like an amphitheater uh, enclosed on one side and open where the screen is. So uh, it's become, in my mind's eye and my imagination, I'm sure in the imaginations of many other people, um, a, a real location, you know, someplace to go on a pilgrimage, you know, and to hang out uh, for a while and then to return sometimes after a short. Uh, time away and sometimes after a long time away and be, and be comforted by the fact that it's still there. <laughs> well, and actually, uh, you know, by its uh, virtual nature, actually, I think it's better than, you know, a real tangible location because you can access it from anywhere at any time. You don't have to be in one physical space. Um, mm-hmm. You can, you know, as long as you have some sort of uh, device, whether it's, um, you know, a laptop, a phone, a television, you, you can access it from anywhere. And I think that's sort of the, the, the beauty of it. I, I will uh, admit, though, that I'm, I'm, I'm big into mid-century design. I, I love um, everything mid-century from furniture to um, decor. And, you know, a lot of these films came out uh, of mid-century as well. The mm-hmm. uh, early designs that I did for the drive-in uh, were more uh, stylized than uh, what I really arrived at um, about 22 years ago. Um, I had done um, a lot of uh, line drawings of late 50s automobiles with tail fins and in, in those technicolor you know, pinks and greens and blues and reds. Uh, I actually actually still have a lot of those graphics. uh, Oddly enough, I managed to save all of that and and archive it. Uh, I I actually should uh, dump some of that, you know, into a web page, you know, just for the sake of uh, history and just to give people something to look at. And I had done some, uh, you know, early crew, which would now would now be crude uh, animated gifs um, or gifs, that is. um, just in order to have something to look at on the website, because back then there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of streaming, and it was very crude in nature. And I wanted to give the website some movement, you know, um, mm-hmm. so that when somebody accessed the website, they would be able to to see something. Of course, you know, in the subsequent twenty plus years, I mean, that's all changed, and now uh, everything is streaming and very little is static and uh you know a lot of my website is static i mean there, there's um you know, a, a lot of uh, press release photos promotional uh, images and so forth and uh, of course the text is all you know very static content as well uh but for each each page as as much as i can find um i always have at least one film that, that can be streamed readily 
and that's where um, the, the that's where the peplums are, are really com- coming in handy. Is that uh, for practically every actor, uh, you know, in Ford and Sandal Cinema, you know, uh, he'll have uh, you know, usually a selection uh, of films to pick from. And you had mentioned uh, Steve Reeves uh, in the previous segment. Yeah. Something that something that you said uh, with your uh, previous guest really resonated with me. You were talking about how he had um, you know, kind of capitalized on, on the fame um, and the, the, sub, the subsequent payment you know, for his services in these films and was able to do what he wanted. And when he wanted to duck out, uh-huh. um, he was able, to, he was able to do so and, and do what he wanted. Well, you know, ultimately um, my website's been sort of an escape for me as well. You know, when I'm, when I'm tired of, uh, although I, I, I like my, I, I like my career a lot and I like what I'm doing. Um, it's, it's a nice way to get away from all the stress of that and working on the website uh, tends to, re-energ- to re-energize me and uh, keep me focused. Awesome. That, that is a great thing uh, to know. Um, I, some of the things that I do that uh, um, are, you know, that I've built activities around uh, are things that I also do or, or was doing recreationally to give myself a break from the, the other things that were going on. Um, and uh, the other day I had a conversation with someone on the show about uh, sword and uh, sorcery, how that's always been a passion of mine. And uh, uh, initially when I was younger, I wanted to share it with everybody. Uh, and I found very few people in life who were interested in uh, sword and sorcery. Fortunately, my wife is interested in, in sword and sorcery. Uh, so I'm blessed in that regard. But uh, uh, that's something that I've discovered that even if no one else is interested in it, I still enjoy it. Uh, so uh, every now and then I'll lose myself in a Conan uh, comic book or, uh, you know, read uh, a new obscure uh, sword and sorcery thriller that someone uh, concocted and put together. Uh, and it it has and it will contribute a lot of enjoyment to my life. And uh, uh, it is escapist uh, literature. So I can understand what you're saying and uh, respect it. Well, and you know what? I, I don't think you're as alone uh, in that as, as you might believe. When I first started working on um, the website, uh, for example, uh, it, at some level I thought, you know what? I might be the only person who you know, remembers these films and cares about these films and wants to know more about them. And that was for, sort of one of my first discoveries um, you know, in building the website is that, you know, I, I, far from being alone, I, I ran into, well, I, I heard from so many other people who were really interested in all of this and wanted a resource with more information. And they were happy to contribute uh, the images and information that they had. So you can really build a community out there and it's wonderful that you know you can create a community out of something that just started as a hobby, and I, I firmly believe in, in you know, and er, everybody needs at least one hobby, and, and I would actually suggest two or three probably. And this has been my my dominant hobby, um, you know, over the last twenty plus years. It's been my hobby, the sword and sandal, uh, since uh, childhood too. 
uh, and uh, with the sword and sorcery, it, it led to the show Thor the Barbarian, which was like the biggest thing I've, I've done, you know, publicly uh, with uh, my passion for that type of uh, literature. And I did kind of like a quasi reality show uh, that uh, was true, except for the parts we added to embellish it. You know, like uh, uh, we were at the Lake Placid Film Forum, uh, for example. Uh, we did mount a protest. We did make a film there that aired during the same film festival, uh, but there were no ninjas or outer space aliens. We added them later to the movie and to the, <laughs> you know, to the episodes because it was better with aliens and with ninjas. But uh, um, so I see what you're saying, and, and it, it is very satisfying. And I think with uh, the Thor the Barbarian show, my need to do something with that shared because uh, I, I took it you know, to as far as I could take it. Uh, we had a television show, we made a movie, I, I appeared like, like Where's Waldo and a ton of other films, you know, so, um, yeah, I was able to let go of that, and uh, um, when we moved to Pennsylvania, lived in the mountains, uh, the wooded mountains of the Poconos, that was kind of like the best place to leave uh, Thor the Barbarian, because, uh, uh, yeah, I, he lived a very fulfilled life. And then I went back to my default being you know, Hercules, which I used to dress up as Hercules and wander on New York uh, way back in the, you know, when I was a, a preteen um, and decided to live that out a bit more. I've done that several times in my life, but um, it is very satisfying to take, you know, if something that you feel a passion for, you're able to find some way of, of touching other lives and you do meet incredible people. Like uh, with the peplum, I never imagined being in touch with the global peplum community and uh, Facebook has finally allowed that to happen, you know, to a, a spectacular degree. Uh, before then, the Yahoo groups to some degree. Uh, but now with mm -hmm. Facebook, communicating with people all over the, the world. And uh, um, actually being able to do a show with someone whose work, you know, uh, I've admired all these years, uh, practically from the beginning or maybe from the beginning. Because I know it's over two decades ago, um, but I don't know if it was 22 years um, so that says a lot too that the internet allowed for this possibility, and we've been doing this for a couple of years already. Uh, that's true. I, I, I'm thinking uh, e either three or four years. Um, yeah. That that, yeah. that we've we've been yeah. talking uh, on the podcast, and you something that you were talking about um, kind of reminded me of something. Um, your interest in all of this started uh, when you were a youth, and yeah. so did mine, actually. Um, and I, I can't remember not, you know, loving film. Uh, it's you know, sort of my some of my earliest memories uh, are about watching film either uh, in a theater or at a drive-in. I, I practically grew up in a drive-in movie theater uh, as a child, or or even on television. Um, you know, catching these uh, peplums uh, either on uh, Saturday or Sunday, um, movie matinees on TV, or sometimes even at night. Um, but my my love of film, you know, goes way back to to when I was a kid, and I was a super eight millimeter uh, film collector um, as a child. And I guess I was uh, fortunate in that my you know parents you know, indulged me in all of that. Um, my grandmother uh, gave me a Super 8 millimeter projector when I was about 9 or 10 years old, and I knew about enough about it to, in order to be able to thread it, you know. And uh, in, in some department stores back then, you could actually buy 
uh, digest versions of uh, films. Uh, I remember. And usually those were like Castle Films or Universal or Ken. Uh, th- those were the, the, the three big uh, names that you could purchase. And that's sort of how I got into uh, the film hobby. And from there, I started buying a lot of books about film. And uh, when I had enough money scraped together in high school in order to buy a, uh, a VHS uh, recorder, uh, I bought one of those and kind of dropped uh, the Super 8, you know, uh, by the time I bought a, um, a VHS recorder in the early 80s. Um, but I still have, believe it or not, I still have all of my Super 8 millimeter films and equipment. I've got several projectors. I have an editor. Um, I still have all the films that I purchased back then. I don't know, really know what I'm going to do with all that stuff. Um, but for now, all of it still works. Uh, I hauled the uh, couple of projectors out several years ago, and I was excited to find out that everything still worked and the films were still viewable. Wow. That is awesome. It is. And, um, you know, it's, it's very niche, but, um, uh, it's, it's fun to be able to go back after, gosh, I mean, that was mid, mid 1970s. That would have been about 45 years ago. Uh, and, um, it sort of helps me recapture my youth a little bit, you know, in going back through all of that stuff. And uh, being able to watch it again has been fascinating. Yeah, that is uh, incredibly awesome. I have a friend, uh, Jeffrey Hogue, the filmmaker, um, and yes. uh, he, he has a uh, uh, you know he has setups. And recently, he rediscovered a lot of like the films that he had in his uh, storage. Um, and unfortunately, I haven't had the time to go over um, and uh, watch uh, one of these films. Um, with him yet, but uh, he's invited me to come over and watch uh, some of these films uh, project, and it sounds incredibly awesome, and I definitely want to do it. Well, and you know, there's something about it that it's just not like, I I don't want to say that watching these films on TV, you know, is a lesser experience, because it's not, because quite honestly, the sound is better, um, the picture is sharper and more in focus, but there's something about, you know, uh, having that the, the clickety clack of the old, uh, you know, film projector, and you know the magnetic sound, um, you know, coming off the uh, film reel, and being able to blow it up, you know, beyond the size of any, uh, you know, at least affordable television, is uh, <laughs> just kind of awesome. Um, and even when I was a teenager, I used to um, actually I would take my projector outside at night, and for for my uh, friends who were interested, you know, in, in watching those films, I would just hang a sheet uh, on the side of the house, and I could blow it up pretty big if it was dark mm-hmm. enough. You know, if if we had just a, like a quarter moon or a, a cloudy night, you could actually uh, see it pretty well, and that was that was a lot of fun. Uh, sort of creating your own drive-in theater, but in the days before I had a driver's license. <laughs> I You brought back an old memory. Uh, when I was a kid in Greece, 
um, they used to have uh, people like traveling through the town, like even with doctors. You didn't, there wasn't really any doctor in town. There were doctors traveling through town. And they used to have movies traveling through town. And that's what they did. They would set up a projector and they would set up a sheet along the side of a building. And people would bring their chairs and they would sit like in the, you know, wherever they set this up and watch the movie. And that was the, the drive-in theater of the village. And then there were also strong men and there were magicians and there were all sorts of people who used to, you know, wander through and do different things. But uh, that was a great uh, memory. You know, it was, it was often very hot, uncomfortable. There were bugs, but it was great being out there with everybody else <laughs> watching the movie. Well, when I was a kid, um, my mother had uh, – we, we lived in Florida um, you know, for several years, and um, we, which is like the, the buggiest state on earth, if you ask me, other than Michigan, the other state that we lived <laughs> in uh, for a number of years. And she had mosquito nets made for her car. So uh, you just kind of snapped them in. And uh, you didn't have to have, you know, the air conditioning on in the car or anything. You could, and if, if it was a, if a decent temperature at night. And um, that was one way you could get away with not being eaten alive, um, you know, by the, the mosquitoes and, and some of the other bugs. But even today, you know, you can buy those uh, inflatable um, screens that are used oftentimes uh you know for public viewings of uh, movies at at pools and, and in uh, public parks and things like that and that's sort of the spirit of the drive-in where people during the summer you know will bring their lawn chairs maybe some popcorn uh, mm-hmm. some soft drinks or something like that uh there's a number of um uh, those events that happen in, in Michigan, as a matter of fact, uh, one of the towns that I like to visit in the summer in Michigan is called St. Ignis, and it's in the Michigan Upper Peninsula. And uh, I believe it's every Wednesday and Saturday night. Uh, they have a uh, uh, a um, they have a public park there uh, in St. Ignis, and they've got their you know laptop and projector set up, and they'll project usually a family friendly. Uh, film, not, nothing too uh, gory. Um, and and it, it, it's kind of the same spirit. I mean, the, the car is absent, obviously, but you know, it's just a gathering of, of people and they sort of develop their own community. And, you know, twice uh, every week they come together and watch a film outside. Usually the temperatures are pretty good. And if the black flies aren't biting too much, it, it, it's a good time. It sounds like a good time. Um, it really and, is. It's it's a lot of fun. And I'm glad that people are still doing, you know, uh, stuff like that. I uh, There seems to be like a, a, a feeling of nostalgia uh, and people are doing a lot of things uh, recently, you know, even here locally that uh, were from like long ago and, uh, and far away uh, in our memories and uh, people are bringing them back and re-experiencing them in a new way. So that's pretty exciting. Well, well, you know, I, I live um, uh, in West Virginia, I, uh, very close to uh, Pittsburgh. I'm about 50 or 55 minutes uh, outside of the Pittsburgh metro area. Um, but uh, every summer, uh, my partner and I go back to uh, Michigan, uh, for, usually for about a two-week visit. And last year, 
we went to uh, a town called Manistique. It's in the Upper Peninsula, and it is the home to the Upper Peninsula's only uh, operating drive-in drive-in theater. You know, wow. out of all the drive-ins that used to be in the Michigan UP, there's just one left. And this one um, actually does not charge admission, which I think is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, every Saturday night, uh, they run a couple of, uh, there again, family-friendly movies, and it's free of charge. You just pull in and uh, watch the film. And when we were there last year, and we spent a night in Manistique just, just so we could uh, see this, um, they ran uh, Grease, um, you know, the film from 1978, and I can't remember the other film that they ran, Uh but it was also, you know, fairly wholesome, um, you know, you con- considering what <laughs> you know, some films are like these days. Um, and it, it's it's just a lot of fun to see you know, people coming together. Um, and like I said, it was it's done free of charge. Um, and I mean, there were people like uh, me who were from who were like twelve hours away from home, and there were also a lot of locals there as well. Wow. Incredibly awesome. So Yeah, what- and in uh in the area in which I live, well, we there we still have a couple of drive-in theaters that are I don't want to say local, but I mean I can get there um the the, the closest drive-in from where I live right now is about half an hour away, so it's not too far. That, it's that actually it's called the Skyview uh, Drive-In, and it's in Carmichael's, Pennsylvania, which is pretty close by. When I was in uh, Pennsylvania for many years, uh, th- there was a uh, drive-in theater uh, that I think was still operable over there because uh, we were looking to hosting an event, and I think I inquired about that uh, uh, as well. It was in northeastern Pennsylvania. Maybe we're talking about the same place. Well, no, this is Southwestern PA. Oh, Southwestern, um, okay. That I'm talking about. Um, and uh, there's another one in Southwestern uh, Pennsylvania in uh, Brownsville, uh, PA, which is, oh, well, let's say about 30, 35 miles south of Pittsburgh. Um, and the Brownsville drive-in actually has three screens. I mean, it's a, it's a nice operation. Uh, it's very clean. Um it's uh, well organized. It's kept up very well, and local people come out and support it summer after summer, um, which is just fantastic to see. And you know, we we've lost so many drive-ins uh, over the years that I mean, it's it's never going to be uh, you know what it was you know 50 years ago certainly. But it, but it's it's wonderful to see that. There are still some in existence, and the people are making them work, and it's nice to see something like that survive because it was just – it was so much of a different experience um, going to a drive-in than it is you know, just watching a, you know, a film at home with your friends or even going to you know, the multiplex you know, uh, in, in your local uh, city and – you know, watching a film, uh, it's just an entirely different experience. You know, you're, you're outside, 
Uh, you're spending time, you know, out in nature, hopefully. Most drive-ins were not in cities. They were, you know, in suburban or even rural yeah. areas. Uh, and you were able to take in some of the fresh air, maybe bring your own lawn chairs. And it was something that uh, my mother did when I was a kid that I still do um, when I uh, go to a drive-in is – she would always um, she would get a a paper bag from the supermarket, uh, it, one that hadn't been used. It was a, a brand new one, and she would pop like a ton of popcorn, put it in that paper shopping bag, and um, you would seal the top of it. So when we got to the drive-in, you know, we would have you know some uh, soft drinks. Um, you know, in a cooler, and she would break out the, the huge bag of popcorn and candy and stuff like that. It, it, it was a lot of fun. And a lot of those old drive-ins also had uh, playgrounds, um, which is something, unfortunately, I don't think you really see anymore. I haven't seen any playgrounds at well, a drive-in have, for a long time. But the playgrounds, playgrounds used to be down by in. the uh, screen. Now, we've reached the end of our journey today, but I'm glad that our journey's uh, continued for like four years. Wow. And happy 22nd anniversary to Brian's Drive-In Theater. Uh, may it be around for at least 22 more. And uh, I'm looking forward to our next conversation. How can people find out more about you and Brian's Drive-In Theater? Well, if they want to find out more about me or if they want to message me, uh, they can always go to my Facebook presence, and that is at Brian's Drive-In at Facebook. Uh, and uh, they can always visit the website at brianstriveintheater.com. Thank you so very much. Again, congratulations, and I'm looking forward to our next conversation, uh, Brian. I had a great time. Well, th thanks so much, and we'll chat soon. Okay, and we're going to take a brief break. We're going to listen to Dave the Bard's Antlered Crown and Standing Stone. And then we'll be back with Physical Culture with Bill Hinburn of Super Strength Training. <laughs> Yeah. 
for a lamb to be born again. But don't you cry and don't you grieve. Soon in a while come time will leave on the night of sharing it so I'll share it with you too um, I've been looking very closely at like you know our, our limitations in our thinking and I've been examining my life and the basic assumptions that I have and not that they're bad they, I, they've given me a phenomenally interesting and uh, almost you know, totally satisfying life uh, despite all the challenges and obstacles and so forth but I discovered uh, to my amazement that I made most of the decisions about what my life was about when I was between 11 and 13 years old. 
So now that I'm 61, <laughs> I was astonished uh, that that's when I came to these conclusions. So I started challenging a lot of my uh, assumptions and seeing, you know, maybe there's something I want to do uh, more. And in terms of uh, uh, physical fitness, it l- led me to some new thoughts that, you know, I didn't have to limit my uh, uh, physique building to the standard like Charles Atlas or Peplum star uh, physique. I can actually do something different. Uh, so that led to me experimenting with uh, different types of exercise that I never considered before. Uh, and I'm having a great time. You know, it's a new learning curve, so it's taking me a while. But, like, I've been using exercise bands, those really thick uh, bands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, the uh, muscle control. And just with these two things, and right now I'm focusing more on the bands and I'm kind of learning the muscle control, I'm finding a dramatic uh, changes, uh, positive ones and growth in my body that I never expected to see. Uh, one using a, a piece of equipment I never used before and the other one using a, a technique that I was familiar with to some extent through the Charles Atlas but never really focused on that aspect of it as much as I've been focusing on it now. Uh, and it, it's like being a kid in a brand new toy store. <laughs> so I'm having a great time with my working out. Well, it's it's important for people to understand that they place uh, uh, the limitations that they have are usually placed by themselves. Yes. Um, you, you know, it's uh, uh, several quotes. You know, I mean, you can get philosophical about this like anything else. For example, life has no limitations except the ones you make that's by les brown um uh-huh. napoleon hill there are no limitations the mind except those uh that are acknowledged you know um uh, uh, uh argue for your limitations and sure enough they're yours you know uh, uh whether you think you can or you think you can't you are You're right, right. <laughs> you know uh, um um our limitations are those we set up in our own minds. That's another one uh, 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 by uh, Napoleon Hill. Um, argue for your limitations. Sure enough, they're yours. I think I said that Sir Richard Bach said that. Uh, but out of limitations comes creativity. You know, um, once you hit the wall, uh, 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 you have to figure out how to get around it. You know. Either go around it, over it, under it. You know how many times you hear, uh, you know, uh, you know, people say uh, whatever it takes. Right. You know, um, most people's limitations are self-imposed. Uh, you know, uh, uh, for example, uh, um, uh, the old adage about bumblebees. You know, uh, from an engineering standpoint of view, it should be impossible for them to fly. Uh-huh. And then there's the comeback. Just don't tell the bumblebee. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and a man has to know his limitations. You probably remember that from Harry Callahan and the mm-hmm. uh, Dirty Harry uh, type thing. Uh, 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 but regardless, uh, 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 some people feel as though. Well, for example, I think we discussed this. I, I could be mistaken, but uh, uh, years ago, uh, no one had broke the four-minute mile. Yes, we did. 
Go ahead. Okay. And and uh, you know, everybody looked at each other and thought, well, nobody's ever done it, so it's probably impossible. You see, there's the limitation. Okay. Until one man did it. And then suddenly, shortly thereafter, a few more popped up. It hadn't been done for, you know, recorded time. And then suddenly, boom, boom, boom. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, of course I do. Yeah. And and uh, uh, that has to be, you know, considered uh, uh, whenever you do things. A good friend of mine, Dennis Rogers, who is uh, a famous strongman. He's been on television. Um, he's done remarkable things. He was one of the first to bend a uh, 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 drop-forged uh, uh, steel uh, adjustable wrench. He bent it into a U. I've got one sitting here on my desk. Wow. And he was the first one to ever do that. And, and it, it, you know, to look at him, you'd never think he was a strongman. I mean, he's not very tall, and... Uh, he doesn't carry a great deal of weight. I don't think he weighs 150 pounds, you know, and and uh, there he is. Uh, and I talked to him about this, and uh, he said when he was a young man, 13 or 14 years old, he was helping his father unload a rolled carpet, long rolled carpet, very heavy, he said, and, and – uh, his father was on one end and he was on the other. And and uh, they pulled it out of the truck and they started walking with it. And he was in front, you know, and, and uh, he was he was trying to get a better grasp on it. And, and he was working his way back to get a you know a better grasp on it. And he's walking and walking. He looks back. He thought his father was on the other end. His father wasn't on the other end. Wow. <laughs> yeah, he said it was all he could do to lift it, it, it to get it out of there. And it dawned on him that he may have, you know, inherently a phenomenal strength. He became a, 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 a arm wrestling champion, national champion, several times. And I talked to him about this. I said, what do you, what do you attribute this to? And he said, well, he said from a spiritual standpoint point of view, he says, uh, you know, I ask uh, he happens to be a Christian, very devout, and mm-hmm. he, he asked God for help and what have you. From a spiritual standpoint of view, he says, then there is something else that people don't account for. He says you have to, any type of pain that you're incurring during uh, these these uh, uh, feats where you're really, really putting your all into it, any pain that you feel you have to push out of your mind. Mm. And then he said, the other thing is, do the best you have with what, do the best you can with what you have. For example, your leverages. You could be a tall person. You could be a short person. You could be a heavy person. You could be a very light person. Uh, The fulcrum that you have, you have long arms, short arms. In his case, he would bend wrenches. Uh, He would, some of them would, he would break them. I never saw anybody do that. He would bend horseshoes. You know, and and, uh, it would be a matter of when he starts to struggle like that and you feel as though I can't do anything more. See the limitation there? Right. As soon as you say I can't, your body starts to believe it. You're right, yes. 
When you start saying things out loud or saying to yourself, I can't, or it's too hard, any any of the negative stuff, you know, it doesn't have to be anybody in the room. It could be just you. You're actually selling yourself on it. So instead of saying, I can't, say to yourself, you can. I will do this. Mm-hmm. I will do this. And if perhaps you don't do it, you say, that's okay. There's another day. Right. And you go at it again and again and again. An old Japanese saying, I think I might have uh, uh, said this to you, knock down seven times, stand up eight. You know? And then you read about people not only from a physical standpoint of view of of tremendous physical accomplishments, but uh, 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 successes mentally, mental accomplishments or uh, uh, financial accomplishments, things that nobody thought anybody could do. And they do them. And and many times they will write a book or they (coughs) they will be quoted as saying something. And a lot of it is very positive. Many of these people are visionaries, okay? Mm -hmm. They will sit and they will close their eyes and they will view not the way things are with the limitations, but the way they feel they should be. Uh, Yes. I can name several. I can name uh, 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 Bill Gates. I can mm-hmm. name uh, Henry Ford. Arnold Schwarzenegger is a big one for mm-hmm. visualization. You know, he overcame a ter- uh, you know, tremendous amount of uh, 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 things when he came here from Austria. You know, I mean, hell, they didn't even have indoor plumbing. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> he remembers the day that they got a refrigerator, you know, and he comes to America in 1967, 68. And, and uh, you know, uh, he had a thick accent. You know, I used to I, I used to sell his little training booklets back in the, uh, 1970, and I would talk to him on the telephone, and his accent was you think you think it's he has an accent now, uh, it's a Queen's English now compared to what he had. I mean, it was you know he had a mouthful of of uh, watermelons when he was talking, you know, and I would have to ask him to repeat it, you know, and we would both start laughing. He, he was very uh, he was very different back then. He was uh, he. He's a very happy person, very upbeat, uh, great sense of humor, and what have you. And uh, uh, but he has, uh, uh, you know, an attitude where if he wants something bad enough, he will get it. I mean, look, right. he did uh, so well in bodybuilding, but then he took it and he went into well, actually, before uh, <clears throat> even while he was in bodybuilding. He was uh, he was a uh, uh, took night classes and he was a shrewd investor in real estate. He owns right. very uh, he he owns a number of prime uh, 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 apartment buildings in uh, in uh, California, you know. And and uh, so he was a millionaire before he ever left bodybuilding, you know, right. before 1980. And then of course he wanted to go into uh, the movies, and and uh, so he. Uh, uh, I think the first movie he was in was Hercules in New York. It was, it's also called Hercules Goes Bananas. I and this is movie. around 19, yeah, it's around 1970. Well, that's not him talking. That was dubbed in, believe me. 
they have his original uh, dubbing, you know, his original words now. Uh, they put it out like in double editions where you can get the dubbed and the not dubbed version. I, I prefer the undubbed version. Well, yeah, of course, because that's Arnold. <laughs> nobody has, nobody talks like Arnold, you know. And 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 then of course he did uh, the Conan uh, movies, but the one that really catapulted to fame was uh, uh, the Terminator. Yes. You know, but but uh, after Hercules in, uh, in New York, uh, uh, he wanted to get into other movies, and they said he was too heavy. Well, mm-hmm. that didn't stop him. He says, you know, and and he says, well, what do you mean too heavy? It's well, you're you're too heavy. He says, well, anytime you're filmed, uh, and you probably know this, uh, it adds ten or fifteen percent to your body weight. You know, when you're on film, you look heavier. So uh, he said, how much weight do you want me to lose? And they told him, and they, they you know, they gave him an amount that they thought, well, my God, he'll never be able to do that. Well, he did it. He lost yes, the weight he and came back. Here I am. <laughs> See? Yes, he played a cowboy, I believe, in one of those roles. They told me they wouldn't take him until he lost the, the weight. And he came back and he had lost it, I think, to the pound. They told him he yeah. needed to lose. Yeah, he, he, was the, he was in the villain with Kirk Douglas. Yeah, yeah. That was the name of the movie. And, and uh, um, he, he was in, uh, you know, like I say, he did uh, The Terminator, did the, the, the Conan movie. Uh, uh, movies. He also played uh, uh, Mickey Hag- uh, Hargitay yeah. with uh, mm-hmm. you know, Jane Mansfield. You know, uh, with uh, I forget her name now. Darn it. Um, oh, uh, Lonnie Anderson. There you go. Uh, okay. Yeah, she was. They were in that. That was a TV. Uh, uh, you know, like made-for-TV movie type thing. And and uh, but he did a, a number of things like that. And then. And then, in the middle of it all, he decided to run in, uh, uh, for a, a political position. Well, and he Arnold won. Had a, Arnold had a <laughs> list, and people used to make fun of him for it, uh, where he yeah. listed all the things he wanted to do. And on that list was to marry into American aristocracy, uh, to be yeah. a millionaire, uh, to, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, make uh, you know, movies. And he was inspired by Reg Park in... Uh, um, Hercules in the Underworld or Hercules Against the Vampires that had several different right. titles, uh, but that's what inspired right. him to become a bodybuilder and also like a movie star. Right. And he used to recite this list throughout the day and people mocked him for it. I, I remember yeah. seeing in an interview, uh, somebody was saying years before, oh, he says he's going to be governor of California. <laughs> and lo and behold, he did it, you know. Yeah. Um, the only thing yeah. he hasn't done is he said he was going to be president of the United States too, and he's still yeah. alive. So that's a possibility as well. Well, the the only thing that'll stop him, and a lot of people that are you know that are opposed to that will tell you right off the bat, you have to be born in the United States. Right. Okay. Well, I'm not so sure about that. I don't know how that works because we have had people running, especially the last election, that were. Uh, that were not born in the United States. So why were they running? You see, so I, I, I don't know where that goes, you know, one way or another. Um, uh, I know that we do have people that were born outside the United States and other political positions, you know, for example, uh, governors are one of our governors in Michigan. Uh, not so many years ago was born in Canada. So uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know how that goes. And, and uh, it may not change in my lifetime, but it, it, 
probably will change. I mean, you know, things are always subject to change or a way to get around them or, or you know, something like that. But it's just a fascinating um, – uh, there are several books that are uh, that are available, uh, you know, The Seven uh, Secrets of uh, Successful People or something of that effect. Uh-huh. I think you've probably heard of that book. Uh, that's probably – I paraphrase the title. That's probably not – oh, it's The Seven – Habits of successful people or famous people or something, something like that. Like I, that. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. That was and, and of course very, that was a best for a while. Yeah, that was a that was a bestseller, and then of course the author parlayed that title and and changed it ever so slightly, and he went on and on and on with several you know follow up books, which is right, good marketing, right. you know. But there are other people that have. Uh, have uh, done things like I said earlier. I gave you a quote by Napoleon Hill. You know, uh, 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 he wrote a book. Okay, uh, yeah, a series uh, of them. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, series. I've got the tapes too. If you ever uh, are interested in that, you should get the tapes, audio tapes, and you can sit and you know listen to what he has to say. Uh, um, uh, I, I will uh, definitely the, look into that. The science of personal achievement. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, that that is an absolute excellent thing because you see uh, there was a gentleman who hired him when he was a kid okay i think he was in his 20s and uh it might have been carnegie but i'm not i wouldn't swear to it this is off the top of my head like all our interviews i i just sit here and and uh i i uh you know give you ideas from just off the top of my head but Mm -hmm. um uh i think it was carnegie but anyway hired him yeah, hired him to interview, go around the country and personally interview uh, a list of famous people, very successful people in the in, in the financial world, and pick their brains as to what they felt was the key to their success. And he did this for many, many, many years. Okay, and of course Carnegie paid him the whole time, and and uh, he he put together. Uh, all this information, and it's a fa- anything that Hill uh, has written is very fascinating reading, and you would be surprised what what these habits are, what what these people owe their success to, you know, and and you have to remember something else. A lot of people will say, well, you know, if if you suggest to them that you want to talk about limitations, Hercules, I'm going to tell you, I am okay. going to tell you something right now that will blow your mind. I have had people, I've been out to dinner with people, I have talked to people personally in all different scenarios, at weddings, at funerals, at sporting events, at uh, 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 um, uh, uh, parties, at uh, um, family get-togethers, all these different, all these different things. And I'll make a suggestion, well, why don't you go into business? Or why don't you write a book? Or why don't you look into manufacturing that? Or uh, why don't you, and I'm telling you, as soon as I say anything that even remotely suggests that somebody might have to put some effort into Uh something, they will, if they put as much energy into the excuses as they did, as they would to actually pursue their goal, they would be successful, hands down. 
right away right. they will give you a list. And I can I can name many of the reasons why I don't have the money. You get that? They don't have the money. Okay. Number two, I don't have the time. Number three, I don't know how to do that. Number four, um, I already have a job. I, I can't do that besides my job. You, you understand what I mean? Um, yes. Oh, the other one. I don't. I wouldn't know where to start. <laughs> I, I tell them. I said, look. Uh, many times I'll suggest, why don't you write a book about that? Do you understand? Uh-huh. Oh, well, nobody would read it, or everybody knows that. No, you would be surprised. I have told people, the older you get, you know, you get to be about 40, 50 years old, and certainly 60 or 70 years old, you would be amazed at how much you know that you presume other people know. Because you'll sit at the table, for example, yourself. Okay, you've you've got your own story. You've got your own book. Your own book in your mind. See, the thing is, it just hasn't been written. It hasn't been put down on paper or in any other form of medium. It hasn't been organized. It hasn't been put into an outline. Other than yourself, you have the outline. Because you know chronologically in what order it occurred and what people were involved and what situations you were in. And and for you to sit down and say, okay, I'm going to write an outline. So you start an outline, okay, and and you finish it, okay. And let's say it's uh, a couple of pages, eight and a half by eleven, okay, and they're double spaced, and you you type up an outline. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you, I will sit down and I will look at that outline, and I will say, well, what about here? What what happened here? And you'll say, oh yeah, I forgot about that, and you'll jot that down. You'll, you'll add that maybe between two events. And I'll say, well, what happened over here? Man, I forgot that too. You know, it, it's just like if I ask you, okay, you went to four years of high school, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. What did you learn? Now, I'll give you a pencil and paper, and you'll sit okay. down, and you'll start writing like crazy, okay? And you'll probably write for about ten minutes. And then you put your head up, and then you'll start writing again and writing more and more and more. And after about maybe three or four pages, once again, eight and a half by 11, you'll stop. And I'll say to you, okay, Hercules, is that everything? Uh, Yeah, it's everything I can remember. Remember what you said, what you remember. I'll pick it up, and I'll look at it, and I'll say, oh, did you take algebra? Oh, yeah, I had ninth grade algebra. Well, write that down. Okay, what about, uh, did you learn anything about uh, World War II? Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot that. And write that down. And you see where I'm going with this? Yeah, and we'll go on and on and on until you've got a real thick <laughs> pad of paper. Because, hey, it was four years. You learned a lot of things, but the thing is, you can't voluntarily bring them up without something uh, triggering your memory. So you have to have something to trigger your memory to bring this stuff up. And the same holds true 
with all the information that you have in your mind. Nobody has lived your life but you. Right. Nobody has lived your life exactly like you have. So there are things you have done that nobody else has done. There are things that you have done your way that nobody else has done exactly your way. You've had successes. You've had failures. Right. And nobody learns anything from success. The more you fail, the more you're going to learn. So if you get up the next day and say, well, I'm not going to fail in any of this because, uh, you know, it's, uh, failing is uh, something that is not, uh, you know, <laughs> people don't like anybody that fails. So your whole education process from the time you start school, for example, if, if you're given a quiz or a test and you have 100 questions, okay, now let's say you get 97 of those questions correct. And, of course, the teacher will come out with a red pencil or whatever and check on those three that you got wrong. Uh-huh. And that red brings it to your attention. You failed. You failed on those three questions. And then they will pound on you about what you did wrong. What about the 97 you got right? Well, it doesn't make right. any difference. It's those three that you got wrong. And they will, they will beat you half to death on the ones that you got wrong. And just between you and me, if you have a 100-question test, you know many, many, many times you guessed it more, maybe four right. or five of them at least, right? But they don't say anything about that. No. Because you slipped one by them by getting them right. You were lucky. But regardless, I, I, have, I have asked people, why don't you go into business? Why don't you write a book? And they will come up with... Oh, gosh, just a whole litany of reasons why not. And they're very quick with them. I mean, you talk about wit. They're they're really, (laughs) they're quick on their feet. Oh, like I said, I don't have time. I don't know anything about this. Uh, 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 If it's uh, like something where you uh, uh, use your hands, well, I'm I'm not very good at uh, with my hands. You're not very good because you've never tried, you know. I've seen people try to draw things, and I say, wow, you're pretty good at that. Oh, I've never drawn drawn anything. Have you ever tried? No. You see? Well, and, a lot uh, of I'm times not... people will sit down and they'll try to draw, and uh, the first time they try to do it, it doesn't look very good or they're not happy with it, and they stay away from it because they have a fear then built in that, gosh, I'm I'm not good at that. And you see, again, I can't. I'm not good at that. I don't have the time. All these limitations because they don't want to be pulled out of their comfort zone. And their comfort zone, it keeps hampering what they want to do. You know, I'm going to take more money. Yeah, it's just. I'm going to take what you said to heart. I thanked uh, Michelle Brittany. She was one of my earlier guests uh, tonight because uh, she and her significant other, uh, Nick Dyack, uh, they suggested I try writing for anthologies. And I thanked her because I've been published in 15 anthologies so far since they suggested I try that. Uh, so uh, I've written a lot of anthology entries. I've written some articles for magazines. Um, so you've just uh, encouraged me through your words uh, to attempt to write that book <laughs> or one of the yes. books that's floating around. Yes. So I will take take you up on the challenge and I will – 
fail continuously until I succeed. And I want to thank you for inspiring me. I, I took that out of today's conversation, and I hope that many more people take that out of today's conversation. Well, here, because... here's, here's the thing. Here, here's, here's something else. Mm-hmm. If somebody says, okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to criticize you, generally speaking. I'm going to criticize you, Hercules. Now, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? It's going to be negative, right? Not necessarily. I was you and I, at our age, we understand that. But you take, for example, a younger person. Let's mm-hmm. say they're in their 20s, okay? Uh, and you say, oh, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to criticize you. Right away, they're going to think, uh-oh. See? It's going to be negative. Criticism mm-hmm. isn't always negative. No. It's just criticism. Okay? And anytime I criticize somebody, for example, if, if, if you were to share one of your anthologies with me or one of your writings or, let's say, a chapter of the story of your life, okay, and you said, uh-huh. Bill, what do you think of this? Now, be honest with me, Bill. What do you think of this? You're asking for criticism. I say, okay, right off the bat, Hercules, I'm going to tell you something. The first things I'm going to come up with are going to be positive. Okay? And I'll guarantee you, I give you 100% ironclad guarantee that I can find something positive if you did that with me. First of all, above all else, you thought of me. You wanted to share something with me, something intimate, something that you probably wouldn't share with just anybody. You want Mm -hmm. a genuine critique, okay? So I'm flattered, I'm honored, okay, that you would take the time out of your day to share that with me. That's a very positive thing as far as I'm concerned. And then I would look at your approach. I would look at everything positive I could think about it. I always, if I'm going to criticize anybody with anything that they do, be it write a book, um, uh, do uh, uh, a work of art, uh, do carpentry, uh, uh, anything where they're going to share it with me, I always, always give them the positive first. And then they'll say to me, well, okay, but is there anything you don't like about it? Okay, you asked. Now I will give them the things that I personally, and it's only my point of view from where I sit in the stadium of life. Okay, everybody sits in a different, in a different chair in the stadium of right. life. That's how I explain it to people. See, everybody, you've heard of people refer to it as like a point of view. That's exactly what it is. Right. If if, if it's like the five blind men and the elephant, you've heard of that story. Okay, the yes. parable. Okay, the it's the same thing. You all have a different. You all have a have a different point of view because you have a different vantage point, and a lot of it is based on your own experience. But I always I always put out the positive first because I don't. The last thing I want to do, the very last thing I want to do, is make somebody feel depressed or or um, break their spirit or make them feel like, gosh, I'm not very good at this. And if somebody tells me, for oh, for example, here's another good example. If, okay. if you're invited to somebody's home and and they and and uh, 
they 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 cook something really really good. I mean, it's it's something that that uh, you know they 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 want to share it with you and they want to make you happy and they want to you know please you and whatever. Well, what's the first thing they come out with when you say, "Wow, that looks delicious." They'll say, well, I don't know. I tried this recipe, or it might have been in a little bit too long. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, I do. I absolutely hate that. I hate that. I tell the person, I say, why are you telling me that? (laughs) It's going to be delicious. I know it will be. Let me be the judge. I'm the same way, but unfortunately, we've run out of time today. Would you mind doing a part two on this? Because I feel it needs to be heard. It needs to be listened to. And and I'll give you an update on my writing, too, because I'm taking this to heart, and I'm starting tonight. (laughs) Please, please do that. I encourage you. I remembered why I called you uh, that day. Um, I was pitching a show for, for on HD radio, and it was going to have some of the uh, elements that my current shows have. So you were on my wish list, you know, of guests. So just to alert you that I'll be inviting you at some point uh, uh, to speak on that if that happens. And also I've been pitching some TV shows ideas. And again, these are all in conversation. They may happen. They may not happen. They've been progressing that for a few months. Uh, but if that happens, too, I'm going to see if we can get connected with Skype, and I'd like to have you uh, on as a guest because you're you're an awesome guest. You're you're very knowledgeable. You're very wise, and uh, uh, you're a great storyteller. So uh, I'd love to have you on as guest on those shows if those shows happen. Well, thank. I'm I am. I don't know what to say. Thank you. You're very kind, and I would be honored to be on any of your shows. Or contribute any uh, uh, anything that I can, uh, especially to inspire you and your audience. And I am glad that you're getting. Uh, I'm I'm lighting a fire, so to speak, as far as your <clears throat> writing a book or anything else that you do. Thank you. And I yes, will thank indeed. you. In the book. Uh, just like I thank you now for inspiring me. When it's finished, I will thank you in the beginning of the book for inspiring me. So uh, fantastic. <laughs> Bill, how can people uh, find out more about you and uh, Super Strength Training? Well, you can go to the Internet and type in www.superstrengthtraining.com. And my website will pop up. And I strongly suggest that you go to any of the little sign-up windows that ask for your name and your email address. And just put in your name, first and last name and your email address, and hit uh, subscribe. And you will be added to my list, and I send out a free daily uh, newsletter on a variety of subjects, very close to the one that we had today. And uh, I I not only talk about training, but I talk about uh, the mental aspects of of what's involved and uh, the positive attitude and uh you know no limitations and uh, and, and diet exercise uh the history of strong men some of the greatest strong men that have ever lived have uh, uh certain limitations and they overcome them and how they did that etc thank you bill you're awesome and i look forward to our next conversation be well my friend thank you you too bye and now. thanks to everyone who's joined us from home bye bye Uh, Until next time, this is all of us wishing you joyous journeys and amazing adventures.
thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. <laughs>